This sermon was recorded at Christ Church, Jerusalem. Blessed by our teaching? Consider saying thank you with a financial gift at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Slight change in direction. It's now less about us talking to the Lord in our singing and our prayers, and it's more about Him talking to us through His Word and through the preaching of His Word. So let's open our hearts and our ears to hear what God has to say to his people this morning. The first reading is found in Amos chapter 8. Amos chapter 8, starting in verse 1. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos, he asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, The time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Shabbat be ended that we may market wheat, skimping on the measure, boosting the price and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat? The Lord has sworn by himself the pride of Jacob. I will never forget anything they have done. Will not the land tremble for this and all who live in it mourn? The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and then sink like the river of Egypt. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious festivals into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your head. I will make that time like mourning for an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from he to he and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord but they will not find it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, and verse 15 to 28. The sun is in the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, 
All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fulfillness, all his all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh and what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by commission, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mysteries, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, and admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present every, everyone fully mature in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. The Gospel portion for the sixth Sunday after Pentecost is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, very familiar story. Uh, we honor an ancient tradition where we stand as we hear the message of the King of Kings. Brothers and sisters, the good news according to Luke. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So, <clears throat> two short announcements. The first one is if uh, you would like to escape the next 66 minutes of uh, fiery preaching. Then for children, we actually have a Bible class outside 
you're welcome to follow. Yeah, uh, Sarah will take you out if you would like to go. Otherwise, there's no pressure. Adults, if you would also like to escape, this is your opportunity. Fantastic. Okay, friends, then it's my pleasure to introduce our speaker uh, who will deliver God's word today. He is a member of our congregation, Reuven, a Jewish believer. Sorry? It'll be in English. Oh, is that bad? <laughs> uh, he can do it in Hebrew. <laughs> okay. Um, Reuven is a, a, a brother in the Lord. His family worships with uh, our families in the evening service. Uh, he's a, a, a Jewish believer who has shared his teaching, wisdom, preaching, and, uh, and faith, both in person and online. And, uh, and he's, uh, he's going to bring us the word of God. And I'm looking forward to that. So, friends, welcome Reuven. Avinu Malkeinu, Heavenly Father, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together as one. We pray that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Let us also remember in prayer, Pastor David and Carol, they're serving the Lord on a different field these days. But to you who are with us this morning, welcome to the house of the Lord. We are blessed to be in this place, possibly a stone's throw away from where our Lord, Yeshua, as we call him here in Israel, stood before Pilate right across the street beneath the impressive structures of David Citadel. Israeli archaeologists actually discovered what they believe are the foundations of Herod's temple, where Pilate no doubt stayed during the high holidays and the special events where no doubt he judged our Lord. Somewhere a stone's throw away from here stood the Savior, chained in iron, Naked, completely, no elegant loincloth the way they showed it in the movies, bruised with hundreds of open wounds, crown of thorns. That too was not as pretty as we are shown in the Christian art. They didn't have time to weave a pretty crown. They shoved a thorn bush on his head. And on that day, he was the most dignified, peaceful, together person on planet Earth. Just a few feet from where we stand today. He told Pilate, if I wanted, I would have called a legion of angels, set me free. But that's not the purpose. You do what you need to do. He paid the price so you and I can be here today. You are not here by mistake. You did not stumble here because you had nothing better to do on this blessed Sunday. You're here because the Lord drew you to be here. And what is our purpose? 
many purposes perhaps, but the purpose of purposes is exactly what he told us. He told us, if I, if I be lifted up, I shall draw all men unto myself. So this is an acceptable sacrifice. You are here on behalf of your soul. You are here on behalf of your family members. You are here on behalf of your prodigals. You are here on behalf of your neighborhood, your business, your associates. Whatever sphere of influence you carry in your heart, bring it right now in your spirit before God as we lift up Jesus, Yeshua, so he can work what we can never work and draw all of them unto himself. Do you believe? I believe. I'm here for no other purpose. We constantly push back against the darkness. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. That's our story. And some of you know precisely what I'm talking about. The reading from Amos today was pretty heavy. Amos, as we call him in Hebrew. Well, Aaron told me to check the time. It's 10.10. Now, when a Jewish preacher looks at the watch, you know what it means? Aaron? It means nothing. <laughs> it means absolutely nothing. But I will abide. I will respect the house of God. Amos in the Hebrew language means a burden or a burden bearer. Amos, Ma'amasa, for those who know the Hebrew language. And as was his name, so was his life and his ministry. He was a country bumpkin taking care of his father's sheep and the sycamore trees, called to be a prophet. At Israel's worst of times, the northern kingdom is already deeply in pagan practices. They have gone as far as possible from the care and the love and the provision of a holy God, the God of Israel. And God called Amos, whose name is a burden bearer, to bear the burden and give them the truth, not a popular ministry. In fact, they tried to get rid of him a few times if you read the fine print. But he told them the way it is so that perhaps there will be some who repent and God would relent and we may find mercy and grace in time of need. The portion we read today is toward the end of his prophecy. And in fact, this is one of our key scriptures in some of our Hebrew-speaking outreach to our own people, Israel, because we believe that we are on the cresp. We are on the edge of the major promised revival. Eventually, all Israel will be saved. He said so. Eventually, don't know how he will do it, don't know when he will do it, but he, we might as well believe it will happen and serve that great purpose. And some of you are here to serve that purpose as well. That scripture from Amos in chapter 8 has been one of, the, one of the fiery words in our hearts that strengthen us as we approach our own people Israel through media, through social media, many different ways, hundreds of messianic congregations all over the country are doing their best to present the Lord Yeshua to our people Israel who've been blinded and maligned and abused and rejected and hated by that name for thousands of years. That's precisely why this will be the last revival. 
Ours will be the final harvest. And when Israel comes in, he returns. However exactly it will happen, that's what he promised. And these words were spoken to a nation which was in plenty. Business was good. Commerce was good. The borders were relatively secure. Money was flowing. Folks were having a pretty good time. And Amos, the burden of the Lord, is telling them he's going to change and he's going to change soon. And he's describing to them epic regional disasters. Everybody's in trouble with the Lord in the day of his judgment, including Israel. And this one word is unique because it does not describe external dangers. He says, on that day, I will cast a famine in the land, but a hunger not for bread and a thirst not for water, but for the hearing, the hearing of the word of the Lord. So it's an internal issue. It's not that the word of God is not present. It's not that the heavens do not declare the glory of the Lord and day to day speak of his splendor. All creation bears testimony to the Lord. Every person in their heart of hearts know that there is a creator, a sustainer. Abraham said he's not the God of all the earth, a righteous judge. Everybody knows and so many are in denial. The problem that Amos described was internal. The, the famine was because we cannot hear. On that day, God says, time will come upon planet Earth where there will be plenty of witness, but very few will be able to hear it. The famine will be for the hearing of the word of the Lord. And this has become one of our foundational scriptures in addressing our people Israel praying and pushing hard against that darkness, appealing with God to open up the ears which were stopped for so long because of trauma, because of false teachings, because of superstitious, because of pain and hurt and lies and deceptions. The devil is a liar. He is like a lying machine. He produces lies and deceptions all the time. And Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundant. But the kingdom suffers violence. It is aggressive. And violent men, Jesus says, aggressive people seize it by force. You have to apply yourself. And this is the call that Amos shares. In fact, the Hebrew text puts it in unique ways. He says that they will wander. The English says they will wander from sea to sea. The Hebrew word for that is na'u, for those of you who speak Hebrew. Na'u means that they were tnu'ot, they were movements, they were entire movements. We see entire movements that look for truth and find none. I used to be in those circles running from conference to conference, chasing the preachers. Looking for the prophets, thank God for God's true servants. But there's been way too much effort spent in trying to hear the word of the Lord, and there's nothing. He says they will yeshotetu, he says, from sea to sea, and they will wander from north to east. The second word is yeshotetu. It is like a jaywalking person, somebody who's meshotet in the Hebrew language. It's like you wander aimlessly. It's like an idiot lost in the street. 
don't know what they're looking for, but they're looking, they're hungry, they're thirsty. God placed a famine in the land, and they don't know why. So they spend eight hours on social media, and they spend another six hours watching the movies, and then they spend another three hours sitting in a bar looking for something solid, and there's nothing. Famine in the earth. Pretty bad news. Is there any hope for us? We should ask. If this is the condition that one day will typify our planet Earth. He said so. Days are coming, saith the Lord, where I will cast a famine in the earth. It's coming. It's already upon us. But what about us? Do we have hope? Yes, we do. I love that scripture. In Deuteronomy, in chapter 30, we'll take a little trip back to the days of Moshe, the servant of the Lord. He's an old man by now. He's 120 years old. His eyes still sharp. His muscles still flex. Doesn't complain about backaches every time he has to cross another hill. And he's speaking to the children and the grandchildren of the generation of adults who left Egypt 40 years ago. Now it is the 11th month of the 40th year of the wilderness journeys. And the people are sick and tired of manna. They're hungry. They had enough dust. They're ready to enter and to possess the promises of God. Are we that hungry? And he reminds them of everything. The whole book of Deuteronomy is a big rehearsal. That's what I told you. It's like a good preacher. At the end of the message, he says, now, in other words, and he repeats the whole message. That's Deuteronomy. And he reiterates the practices and the worship and the, and, and the protocols of how to live as a godly people in God's promised land. Instructions for life. Even when they fall, even when they repent, are there any protocols for repentance? Plenty. There's hope for us, for we all fail. And he says this in verse 11 of chapter 30, Deuteronomy. Put it in your notes if you take notes. He sums up some of his, some of his most precious words. And Moses, the man of God, says, Deuteronomy 30 verse 11, For this commandment, everything that I told you, he says, that I command you today, is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into the heavens for us and bring it to us that we might hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea? The actual Hebrew talks about the abyss. He's talking about hell. Who will ascend and descend into, into the abyss across the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But, thank God, I love these buts in the word of God. There's hope. We don't shy the bad news. We don't live by the Nile River in denial. We face the darkness and we wait and we plow through the scriptures until we find that but. It's going to be hard, but the word of God is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Yes, a famine is coming upon the world and is already upon us. And they wander to and fro and the world is in a cacophonia. 
I made a fast unto myself in the last year or so to, to really minimize my intake of news. Not only I can't believe hardly anything that they tell us, there's one big show. You never know if you're watching the actors, or if you're watching the doubles, or if you're watching the pre-takes, or if uh, you don't know who's producing what for our consumption. I take my news here. And I listen to the news just to have something to say when I show up in a board meeting or having coffee with the guys at work. But the Word of God tells us that while there may be famine in the world, and there is, and there will be, increasingly so, in the house of the Lord, there's always food. Didn't Jesus tell us himself? He didn't send an angel, not a messenger, not an apostle. He said, I am the bread of life. He who eats of me will never die. I am the bread that came down from heaven. There's plenty of food in the house of the Lord. You just have to come with a believing heart and feed on him. He told us, my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. Do we believe that he is that near? That dear? That he really means it? Like that? You tell me. So Moses, the man of God, tells us that the word will not elude the people of God. But these are the words that he chose to describe it. It is very near you, in your heart and in your mouth. To take it in, to internalize the message, and then, lest we forget, there's always that happy end to do it. Do it. Any doctrine that remains in the ethereal, theoretical regions of your mind is useless unless you do it. Show me your love. Tell me the truth. Bring home the bread. Give the kids a hug. There's always the practical application without which it remains empty words. We don't need any more of those. But what did Jesus tell us? The master himself. What did he teach us regarding that period of time that we know is upon us? Famine. For the hearing of the word of God in the earth. And that is our gospel teaching for today. Luke in chapter 10. Luke tells us all manner of things that the other gospels don't necessarily cover, but I trust him. He's the only guy with a, with a college degree amongst the 12. Some scholars believe that he was the only Gentile among the writers of the New Testament. Who knows? I don't know. It never says so. We allude. We, we assume. We, we are so smart. You know, we, we delve into this and we delve. But the fact is, we don't know. He might have been just one of the guys. In fact, he described practices in the fishing, in the fishing profession of the, of the Galileans, which were very intimate and very deep. In he knew what he was talking about. But he did have a college degree. Dr. Luke. 
And he tells us a story that none of the other gospels fully covers, even though everybody's hinting and remembering and reminding us. And the Lord came into the village of Bethania, two miles from where we are sitting this morning, right across the crest of the Mount of Olives. We call it Bethany in English, sounds so pretty. But it was Bethania, the house of the poor. They probably had some kind of a soup kitchen. They had something for the poor. They had, a, they, had, they, had, they had a ministry. Maybe Mary and Martha actually were running the ministry. Who knows? But we know this, that our Lord Yeshua never, to our knowledge, stayed in Jerusalem overnight. He was in and out of the city all the time. It was a big city in biblical terms, but big cities in Bible days didn't smell the best. Sewage system had something to be desired, and air condition not always worked. So we read in the Gospels time and again that when he was done at the temple courts and when he was done raising uh, the sick, when he was done teaching, he would always live and go across the valley of Kidron right behind us and across the top of Mount of Olives to his friends. In fact, in the ascension text of the Gospels, this is where he ascended from. I love the... Ascension Chapel on the top of the Mount of Olives, but the site may be argued. Because Luke wrote that they crossed the Mount of Olives to the other side, to Bethany, and there he raised his arms, and there he blessed the guys, and then he ascended into the heavens as the cloud captured him. That's a mystery. I think that's why we're going to have eternity, because we will forever never, ever get to fully know this wonderful God. We will spend forever learning how great he is, how wonderful is his love, how awesome are his ways. We will forever continue to grow in the Lord. That's what eternity is for. And he tells us this story. He went to his friends, entered a certain village, Martha, Mary, Elazar. His name in the Hebrew means God shall help. El Azar. He sure helped this guy. Different story for a different day. And Mary was sitting at his feet. Martha was busy in the kitchen. I get it. I'm a kitchen kind of a guy. I am. I have a confession. I have a serious disorder. Seriously, I tried to find counseling. My wife wouldn't let me get any counseling. She says, I like you in the kitchen. I, I, I have this uh, disorder of order and cleanness in the kitchen. It's my kitchen. Don't touch it. The last thing in the day, I clean the kitchen. I do the dishes. I put them in the rack. I wipe the surfaces. And I begged my wife, send me to get some counseling from this disease. She says, no, I like you just like that. I get Martha. She was hanging, listen, if there wouldn't be no Martha, there would be no church meeting today. Somebody has to sweep the floors. Somebody has to work the, the, the sound system and to play the music and to make sure that the table of the Lord is in order. Somebody should be in the kitchen. God bless Martha. Say it. God bless Martha. But she was in trouble. That day anyway. Bible says in verse 40 that she was distracted not just distracted distracted with many things the actual original greek in the text 
Now, who knows, probably when they were moving around and talking in the real happening, in real time, they spoke Hebraic, Aramaic dialect, but the first records that we have of these happenings were in Greek. And so the Greek terminology captures, I believe, a lot of what was really taking place. Distracted, perisau, in the Greek language, means and speaks about the fact that she was indeed distracted, pulled in different directions. Sao, peri, is the, is a prerequisite. It's like about something, regarding something. Saeo is to draw something out. You draw a sword out of its sheath. It appears in the scriptures many times, that very word. Mary was besides herself. Martha was besides herself. Her mind was drawn out and she was concerned. The scripture says she was Perisao about many things. All right? Happens to me many times. Always leads me into trouble. But we all know the feeling. Our flesh gets stressed. What happens next is interesting because she approached the Lord and she says, Lord, don't you care? I love this. The complaining heart. We are experts. Jesus, don't you? Listen, we, the people of Israel, are, we, have, uh, we have the seniority on complaining. Way back in the desert, we complained and complained. We don't like the weather. We don't like the pillar of light. It's too bright. We don't like the pillar of cloud. It's too cool. We don't like the manna that comes miraculously every day. We don't like being so far from the pots of vegetables and of dishes of meat. From e or we've forgotten so quickly about Pharaoh's whip. But we missed the familiar. Change is hard. And yet change is necessary. And change is upon some of you. You walk through these doors today. And you are facing serious decisions. Change is upon you. And it's not easy. And the older we get, the harder it gets. We'll take courage. We are talking with the Lord who is a master of changing lives, and we are safe in his hands. We sang earlier today, bring me back to the potter's hands. Read it in Jeremiah. He went down to the potter's house, and he saw how the vessel was broken. But it wasn't just broken. Jeremiah has the, the, the kindness to tell us the vessel was broken in the potter's hand. You are never outside of his reach. And he didn't throw it out and he didn't cast it in the garbage. He just melted it back again, put it on the fire. He said, let's make something new. A word for you. And you. And me. Ever changing from grace to grace and from glory to glory. But she complained, Lord. Don't you care? And then she tells him what to do. Tell her. Oh, how often I find myself praying stupid prayers. Lord, tell them to change. Lord, make them do the right thing. Sometimes I even prayed for Lord to get them. And then I realized it's too far out. I don't want to get in trouble with a living God. All are God's children. So we pray, God, your will be done. Have mercy upon them all. Bless your enemies. Bless those who curse you. It's the best thing we can do to affect change in the irritating circumstances around our lives. Pray for them and bless them. 
and love them the best that you can and bring to bear God's love and grace into their lives any way that you can, primarily through urgent, earnest prayers. We always push against the darkness. There's never an idle day in the life of the child of God. Lord, don't you care? Tell her to get up and serve with me. Tell her to help me. All right. The disciples complained. They were in a boat floating upon the, the Sea of Galilee. Some of you have been there. Some of you are going to be there. And sometimes we do see, I have seen with my own eyes, tremendous storms pick up within minutes. And the place is a mess. And they cried out to the Lord, Lord, don't you care? We are about to die. And he's asleep on the pillow. Don't you love the, the scriptural precision of language? He wasn't just sleeping on the deck. He wasn't just sleeping on, a, on, on the bench. He got himself a pillow. I love it. In the middle of the storm. But this was the question. Don't you care? It's so hard. They complained the same way. How are they going to feed the 5,000 and the 4,000? And it wasn't 5,000. The, the, the scripture says there were 5,000 men. There were probably 25,000 hungry mouths there with women and children. How are we going to feed them all? Don't you care? God have mercy and deliver us from complaining. And Jesus, he's always present. He's always in touch with the real heart issues answers her. Verse 41. And he said to Martha, Martha, Martha. I love this. Martha, Martha. Have you ever heard the Lord call your name? Your name. It's a special thing. But twice, it's a super special thing. Only eight times in the record of scriptures do we find that the name was called twice. Moses, Moses, the voice cried out from the burning bush. It always speaks about special care, special affection. God is really all over the situation. Moshe, Moshe, he calls him. Abraham, Abraham cried out the angel of the Lord, probably the Lord Jesus himself in one of his pre-incarnate appearances in the Bible when he cried out to Father Abraham, don't kill the child. Lift up your hand with a knife. Genesis 22. Samuel, Samuel drove the voice in the darkness of the tabernacle in Shiloh. An hour from where we sit today when the little boy Samuel was, was growing up in the temple under the corrupt religious priesthood. And God was already at work doing a new thing. Called him by his name twice. Simon. Simon. Three times you will betray me. Before the cock crows. Special care. Special affection. When he calls his name twice. Paul. Paul, why are you persecuting me? Cried out the voice in the blinding light on the road to Damascus. And perhaps the greatest of all. 
Eli. Eli. Remember that? On the cross, the Son of God cried out to his Father. To my knowledge, this is the only time in Holy Scriptures where Jesus addressed God, not as Father or my Father. The only time when Jesus called God Eli, my God. You ever ponder the cross, ponder these words. The only time when the Son of God stripped himself from all sonship privileges. He could not call the Father my Father anymore. Eli, Eli, quoting Psalm 22, why have you forsaken me? That's why we are here today. He cried out, Eli, Eli, so that you and I can cry out, Abba, Father. And today's Martha, Martha, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the pressure, such affection, such tenderness, Martha, Martha. And this is what he told her. You are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. So let's see, what did he really tell her? First of all, tremendous affection. The love of God always presses through in the greatest of stressful moments. Please listen. Quit complaining and listen to his voice. You are worried and troubled. The word worried, again, in the original Greek is marimnao. It's taken from the root word maris, which is parts. She was broken into different parts. Psych psychology will probably say she might have been a split personality at that point. She was worried about the dishes. And she was worried about the chicken. She was worried about the vegetable dish. She was worried about the servant girls. And who's going to bring five pots of water from the well? And who's going to clean up the mess afterwards? She was worried. Her mind was divided into many parts. Marimnao, you are concerned about many things. Anxious is a good word to describe it. We find the same word in the Sermon on the Mount when the Lord says, don't worry what you are to wear or eat. Does not the Lord take care of the ladies of the valley with much better beautiful garments than Solomon in all of his glory? Don't worry when they place you in front of the authorities and the synagogues what you shall say and what you shall tell them for the Spirit himself will give you the words. This is the same word that Paul used when he wrote to the Philippians when he says, be anxious for nothing. But that's not where he ended. But in all things, present your petitions to God with prayer and supplications. It's a lifestyle. Once you get used to it, it gets easier. Don't be anxious. And then he says, and don't be troubled. <clears throat> Again, the Greek root word that is used in the original text is turbazo. It's taken from the Latin word turbo, which speaks about crowd and crowd dynamics, the confusion, the, the chaos. The same word that was used when the Lord Jesus right here, a stone throw away from us, stood before Pilate, and Pilate five times tried to release him because he knew 
this was wrong. And because his wife came to him and told him, I had a dream last night, don't mess with this righteous man. Pilate knew better and he tried to release him, but the scripture says that the Jews were all in a tumult. There was a riot in the street. That's why he did it. And that's the same word. Mary, there's a riot in your head. You hear the crowding thoughts. This is exactly what happened in the house of, of Yair, Jairus, you call it in English, up in the Galilee when the Lord came in to raise the little girl, 12 years old. And he says, don't be troubled. The same word. She's not dead. She's just asleep. It's a commandment from the master. Do not worry. Do not be troubled. A commandment that he gives us the grace to obey. Not always easy. Not always instinctive. But always attainable. If you stick with this and practice it long enough. In the Hebrew language, that same word that is used here in the Gospels is spelled <clears throat> behala. It's a wonderful word. And those of you who speak Hebrew will recognize that the tone of it, behala, appears very well in the Scriptures. And I took one example of it in Psalm, in chapter 2. David cries out to the Lord, Lord, he says, do not rebuke me in your anger. Do not chasten me in your hot displeasure. Psalm 6, verse 2, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. Behala. My bones are torubazo in the Greek. There's trouble in our bones. There's trouble in our bodies. It starts from our spirit. If the spirit is not right, the soul begins to grieve. The body gets sick. Everything is connected. He speaks to all these things. In that one single simple answer, Martha, Martha, I know there's a lot to do here. Kitchen is bustling and people are coming and going and you got to make a living and the traffic is terrible and somebody's got to pay. The I know, Martha, I know. But I love the but. The Lord acknowledges our human condition. He knows. He came in the flesh. The greatest mystery there is. God and man. And he was tempted in all things, the Bible tells us, without sin. So he knows. And when he tells her, Martha, Martha, don't be troubled. Don't be worried. He says, I understand. You have a family. You got to go to work. I have to go to work. You have to bring home the bread. I understand that. We have to take the family on vacation once a year. He understands that. We got to play with the kids. We understand that too. I live in a multi-generational home. The grandkids are invading us all the time. And the worst offender is the little one. Yesterday, on the Sabbath, I'm sitting in my recliner, holy, reading the word, trying to be so religious. And the three-year-old breaks into my living room, dressed up like a queen with a big stick in her hand. And she marched and she shows me her costume. I'm saying, what is this? Some kind of a wand? She says, no, it is a scepter of the queen. What are you going to do with a three-year-old who breaks into your religious time? 
There is no defense from love. I have no defenses. She can break in any time and get whatever she wants. I'm the worst grandpa in the world. And everybody in my family knows it. And I have no intentions to change whatsoever. Because I've learned a lesson. He told us long ago, unless you change and become like one of these little ones, forget about it. And that's the lesson he gave Martha. He talks to us and he says a simple word. Only one thing matters. Yeah, everything else is important. You got to make a living. You got to support the family. You got to take care of the people that you love, that look up to you. We have responsibilities to mankind, to society, and to God. Yes, he knows that. But please take this home with you. But only one thing really matters. There is a famine coming upon the earth. And they will wander to and fro, yeshotetu veyanu'u, from sea to sea, from north to south, hungry, famished for the hearing of the word of God. And we have it in the house. Moses said, it is in your heart, it is in your mouth to say it, to hear it, to encourage one another, to live it and to do it. And the Lord, the master himself, he gave us a simple teaching right in this gospel reading. Martha, Martha, such love and affection. I know life can be hard and busy and fast and demanding and confusing and tormenting sometimes, but please take this home with you. Only one thing matters. Do it all. It's all right. It's all good. But don't neglect the important thing. And Mary has chosen it, and it was not be take, would not be taken away from her. He speaks about priority. He speaks about posture. Sitting at the master's feet. It's not coming in with our great intellectual accolades. No. As a humble position. It's my three-year-old crawling into my holy time. Crawling on my lap saying, Saba, Saba. That's grandpa in Hebrew. Tell me a story from your life. That's our thing. I tell her stories from my life. <clears throat> and teach her things. On the way. When you rise up, when you lay down, when you eat, when you sleep, God is with us all the time. Forever I have placed the Lord before me, David wrote. He never departs from my side. Marta, Marta. Only one thing. Priority. Concentration. Simplicity. You don't have to have a college degree to sit at the feet of Jesus. You don't have to understand all spiritual mysteries to sit at the master's feet. All you have to be is humble. And he says that good part will not be taken away 
from her. That word, part, maris, in the original Greek, is the derivative of the same correction he gave Martha earlier, where he said, your mind is of many parts. Miram now, but there's only one part, maris, that matters. Make sure you prioritize it. Sitting at the Lord's feet. Brother John is going to introduce us and prepare for us the Lord's table very soon. And as we come to the Lord's table, let's do it with confidence. We're not coming in as beggars. Price have been paid. You are okay with God. In fact, the scripture says, we who believe have now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I know it's hard to believe when you look in the mirror, but it's the word of God. Take it or leave it. Let's approach the Lord's table with confidence and humility. It is the great exchange. My life for his. His life instead of mine. Lay down our lives and pick up his. And as we draw near to the Lord's table, one last scripture in Psalm in chapter 86, because David understood that as well. And he put it down so well in his great prayer. He says, teach me your way, O Lord. Psalm 86 and verse 11. And I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. The Hebrew language says, Yachad levavi leyirat shimcha. Unite my heart. I'm splintered in many parts. All of us are Martha. And it's all right. Martha's got her glory. In fact, we hear about Martha again time and again. And the last time we hear about her, she's still in the kitchen doing dishes. But she must have learned the lesson. Because when the Lord showed up in Bethania one more time later on to raise their brother from the dead, she was the one who approached him. And she was the one who got the great confession when he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. She got to hear the words right from the master's lips. So Martha's okay. I like her. Martha and I, we hang in the kitchen. But we've learned the lesson. Only one thing matters. So let's pray this great prayer of David. Yachad levavi leyirah shimcha. Unite my heart, O Lord, that I might fear your name. Avinu malkenu. How thankful we are for your word and for your spirit. Guide us deeper ever into your presence, we pray. In Yeshua's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the city of the king.